0: Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, for those of you who may not know, my name is David Valencia. Uh, I'm the youth pastor here at New Life. Uh, that's right. And it is a joy for me to spend my Wednesday nights with uh, the youth group here, um, and my Sundays as well. Uh, and today, I get the honor of, yeah, preaching on the triumphal, the triumphal entry um, one of my favorite narratives of Jesus' life uh, and a perfect one, I think, as we start to enter the Advent season and to start thinking about this God who came down to us, uh, who came to save his people. Uh, and so as we start, you know, any, we, if you're a reader or a big fan of movies, of storytelling, you know that any good storyline will usually rely on tropes, archetypes, motifs, themes, et cetera, in order to help, you, uh, order to help keep the storyline moving and so that the audience may quickly tap into the idea of who's playing what role, uh, who's doing what. Uh, for example, in the Star Wars universe, we know the good guys, they all always have blue or green, lightsabers, uh, their blasters are similar colors, the bad guys come with red, and you can show Star Wars to somebody who's never seen it, and immediately they'll pick up, all right, here's the good guys, here's the bad guys. Uh, if you're a fan of musicals, uh, you know, the main characters usually tend to have musical themes associated with them. that help the audience follow along Uh, when that character comes to a crucial moment, or when they're a part of the storyline. And so in today's passage, we're going to be looking at how Jesus masterfully uses an Old Testament prophecy in order to give the people one more sign of his true identity. And in his triumphant entry into Jerusalem, we see a picture of Jesus as the one who saves his people, not as a political victor, but as a humble king who is worthy of all praise and honor. And so over the past few weeks, we've been seeing uh, the buildup to Jerusalem. If the Gospel of Matthew were a soap opera, uh, this is, you know, where you get all the commercial trailers trying to hype you up of what's coming next. You know, in just a few weeks, Jesus will enter Jerusalem. What will await him there? And you know, you tune in every week and see what's happening. And so we've seen Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem. Uh, we've seen him uh, foretell his death for the third time. It's a reminder that God is sovereign over the story, that nothing that is about to happen will catch Jesus off guard. We've seen the mother of James and John. Ask for them to be exalted when the kingdom is inaugurated. Showing us that this picture, this anticipation of Jesus' kingdom is growing higher and higher. Last week we saw him heal two blind men in one of his final stops before Jerusalem. Showing us Jesus as one who has mercy even as he faces his own death shortly. And so now Jesus stands at the entrance to Jerusalem. He is about to enter the city of David to begin his final showdown against the powers of darkness. And so chapter 21 works as a hinge in Matthew's story. The earthly ministry of Jesus is coming to, uh, to an end. The second that Jesus walks through those gates... He will begin his final confrontation with the Pharisees. Things will continue to escalate. And the only way out of Jerusalem will be through traveling the path of the cross. And so to highlight the importance of this moment of what's about to happen, Jesus is going to pull out all the stops in his entrance. He's going to make sure that this entrance will be remembered by all who see him. So, Matthew says uh, they drew near to Jerusalem and came to uh, Bethphage. I'm probably saying that wrong. To the Mount of Olives. So, the crowds are coming from all over the place in order to celebrate the Passover feast at Jerusalem. Jesus and his disciples are coming with the band from Galilee. And they get closer, and Jesus has special instructions for his disciples. Uh, He sends two of them, saying to them, this is verse 2, go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. Untie them and bring them to me, he says. Raise your hand, if you are the kind of person who hates walking places, a few of you. <laughs> I uh, I once had a friend come visit me uh, from out of town, and you know I was like, hey, let's go check out this really cool coffee shop in Portland. And because it's Portland, you know you have to you have to park several blocks away and walk the rest of the way. From the way my friend talked, you would have thought I was making her walk five miles that day. (laughs) And so as we look at this part of Jesus saying, hey, go into this village and, you know, bring me some animals. It comes to, you know, the question that comes up is, what's happening here? Is Jesus all of a sudden tired of walking? You know, he's crossed Judea up and down, you know, east and west a million times, and now he gets close to the entrance, and he's like, eh, I think I've done enough walking <laughs> now, right? He's not getting to this final stretch and saying, I'm tired. No, he never does anything without having some sort of intentionality behind his actions. And so, luckily for us, Matthew explains what is happening right away. Verse 4 this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophets, saying, "Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden." So, for those of you who don't want to follow the little number in your Bible down to the footnotes, Matthew's referencing Zechariah 9:9. And this would be uh, one of the many messianic prophecies that Jesus would fulfill. Zechariah prophesied about 500 years before Christ, and in his oracle, we see God is promising to repay the wickedness of the nations who have mistreated the Israelites. And as a result of God's judgment on the people, the people of Israel should respond in praise and worship to the king that is coming to save them. And when this king comes to his people, His rule shall be one of peace. The chariots and the war horses will be no more. The battle bow shall be cut off. And his rule shall be from one end of the earth to the other. And if we're looking at that prophecy from Zechariah, what is the main characteristic of this coming king? It's that he is the one who is humble one who is not prideful, one who has suffered the hardships of this world and yet continues to stay humble and trusting in the Lord. The Messiah that the people are waiting for is not a, will not be a man who is arrogant and self-righteous. It will not be one who falsely claims worship that is meant for God alone. The Messiah will be humble He will come as a suffering servant for his people. The one who came to serve, not to be served. He will not break the bruised reed, nor snuff out a smoldering wick. This Messiah will truly be the son of David, worthy of the throne that he will sit on. Gentle and lowly in heart. A yoke that will be easy to bear. The one who gives rest to those who come to him. His humility will characterize him to all. And when we talk about humility, humility is such a hard thing to master. And the second you think you've mastered it, that pride already takes you back to square zero. Back in college, uh, I fell in love with a band called Beautiful Eulogy. Uh, and if you spent any amount of time around me, you know, I will play you the music. Uh, it's just, it's a really good band, you guys should all check it out. Um, combines, you know, hip-hop with folk music, with hymns, uh, and, you know, I could just go on and on. But the point being is that they are part of a label called Humble Beast, and that humble part is what really stands out to me. And Every time they would come down to San Diego, uh, that's where I was in college, I would go see them in concert, and I would get the chance to meet them afterward and talk to them. And one of the things that always stood out to me was that these men truly lived up to the humble part of the name. Here were three three dudes who were at the top of the game, who knew how to do music well, who toured, who were pretty well known in their scene, and yet there was something about them that exuded humility. You could tell they didn't let the fame go to their head. They truly uh, were honored to be doing this music. And that always stuck out to me, uh, to see people who, who just exude humility. Um, and when someone is blessed with that trait, it leaves a mark on those around them. And so this will be the trait of this coming Messiah that Zachariah is prophesying he is coming as one who is humble and when we think about kings kings are at the bottom of the list of people who deserve to be humble kings they rule everything they are in control of it all and yet this king that will save his people will be humble it will be his trait And so the disciples, they do, as Jesus says, they bring the donkey and the colt and put their cloaks on them. And it says that he sat on them, verse seven. And so, you know, they got these two animals and the disciples are like, all right, well, we don't know which one Jesus is gonna sit on. Let's put our cloak on both of them and we'll let Jesus pick. And so Jesus gets on the donkey and he begins his entrance into Jerusalem. And so you might ask yourself, you know, hey, why, why is this significant? Why does this matter? The first is most of the pilgrims entering Jerusalem were entering on foot. They were coming in walking. They were singing the songs of ascent together as they traveled up to Jerusalem. And so for Jesus, who has walked everywhere in his ministry, to now sit atop a donkey and enter in Jerusalem in that way means that he is physically and symbolically elevating himself above the crowd that's entering with him. Second, just as Matthew explained, Jesus is intentionally fulfilling Old Testament prophecy here. Jesus is well aware of what Zechariah's prophecy was and what it was intended to convey. Most of the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled were unintentional on his part to some degree. You know, we can say, yes, uh, God was in control of Jesus being born in Bethlehem, but Jesus, as a fetus in the womb, had no choice, about where his parents gave birth to him. Um, He would have no choice when the crowds would beat him and crucify him. But with this Old Testament prophecy, Jesus is seeking it out intentionally. He's, I'm going to fulfill this. So back to, you know, the themes, motives, symbols. If I were to enter here into the church, uh, in a three piece suit on and with half a mask covering my face, and I were to sit at the piano, what image am I conveying? That's right, Eric from The Phantom of the Opera. I would be trying to get you guys to identify me with this tortured soul. If I were standing in front of you with a giant clock hanging around my neck, I think most of you, the people who enjoy hip hop or reality TV, would recognize I'm laying claim to the famous image of Flava Flav. (laughs) If I were preaching here with a polo tucked into slacks and quoting Spurgeon and Marvel and Star Wars, (laughs) the laughter tells me you guys all know which pastor I am referencing How are we trying to give off an image of Pastor John, of course? And so we use these symbols, these motifs, to call upon a collective memory of someone or something. And so in the same way, Jesus, as he enters Jerusalem, the city of David, upon a donkey, is calling upon the collective memory of Israel to remember the prophecy of Zechariah, for the Messiah who is to come. Jesus is saying, look, look at this prophecy. Look at what Zachariah said that the Messiah would enter Jerusalem upon a donkey and remember, remember what it means. You could see me in any number of costumes or outfits and you would know deep down that I am not the Phantom nor Flavor Flav nor Pastor John, I am David. Yet Jesus here is saying, look at this prophecy and look at me. I am the real deal. I am he. I am the one that you have been waiting for. And the people, they eat it up. It says they spread their cloaks on the road as he goes, and others cut branches from the tree and spread them on the road. And so this is, what are they doing? And there's precedent for this in the Bible. Second Kings 9.13 says, when Jehu is anointed to be the next king of Israel, the response of those that are with him is to lay their cloaks before him. They blow the trumpets and they declare, Jehu is king. And so what the people are doing with Jesus is reminiscent of this story. They are recognizing his kingship and they are putting the cloaks and branches before him on the road. The messianic expectations that sprouted at Passover are bursting into full force here. And no doubt there are also those who would recall Jacob's prophecy over Judah in Genesis. Genesis 49.10, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler staff from between his feet, Until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. Binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine, he has washed his garment in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. The Messiah to come would be the lion of the tribe of Judah that had long been expected, the son of David to sit on the throne. And so now here we have Jesus who can lay claim to lineage from David. Who is of the tribe of Judah entering the royal city on a donkey in fulfillment of prophecy? Here is the long awaited king. And so the crowd who is entering with him is most likely made up of other Galileans who have made the journey from the north down to the south. They've been first hand witnesses of the ministry of Jesus up there, and they burst forth in praise. Matthew tells us that they're shouting, Hosanna! to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna is a word that means save us, we pray. So what they're saying is save us, we pray, to the Son of David. Save us, we pray, in the highest. And they sing those praises. And what is the reply of Jesus Up to this point, Jesus has been careful to keep his identity secret. He has charged people with not revealing his identity. He has told demons to be quiet about who he is. Those that he has healed, he has told them to be quiet, silent about who healed them. But in this moment, there is none of that. There is no telling the people to be quiet. There is no telling them you have the wrong person. Jesus lets them sing their praises because he is the rightful king. He is the true son of David who is coming in the name of the Lord. He is the Messiah that the people of Israel have been waiting for. The prince of peace that will usher in the eternal rule of God the one who is gentle and lonely and will bring rest to his people. This is not the time for the identity of Jesus to be kept a secret. No, Jesus wants his people to know that he indeed is this king coming on a donkey, the humble one who will bring peace to his people. And were this to be any other man, taking in this praise, it would be blasphemous. But for Jesus, there is no blasphemy. This is truth. He can receive the praises of the the people because he truly is the king. The long-awaited fulfillment of the messianic prophecies For him to reject the praise of the people would be as disingenuous as it would be for any other man to accept the praise of the people. For centuries, Jerusalem has been without a king. There's been nobody on the throne, but now here he is, Jesus, the son of Joseph, the carpenter from Nazareth, the miracle worker, the master, the rabbi, the son of God, blessed indeed is he. And so this site must have been a spectacular one. And when I think about this, I think about uh, the scene from Aladdin with Prince Ali. And you know, I really enjoy the live-action one. And I know a lot of people have their opinions, and we can talk about that. <laughs> but that Prince Ali scene, you know, if you don't know what I'm talking about, the genie has transformed Aladdin into a, you know, he's a common peasant. Into a prince worthy of the attention of a princess. And it is an extravagant musical number. Uh, in case you do not know, I really enjoy musicals. Uh, but the wealth of Prince Ali is put on display. Dancers and soldiers fill the street to display his might and power. Exotic animals run galore. You know, they say he's fought a hundred bad guys with swords. It's Prince Ali. Look at him in his extravagance, his wealth, and his power. And I think that's just a shadow of what this scene must have looked like here. Because Jesus isn't displaying any wealth. He's not showing off his possessions. But verse 10 says, When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up. The city was shaken The crowd is entering, surrounding Jesus on a donkey. And they are praising him and proclaiming his greatness and his kingship. The sounds of the people are reaching everywhere in Jerusalem. The city is stirred up. And this sets a scene for the confrontations that will continue to happen for the rest of this week. The Galileans are coming in, proclaiming the rule of Jesus. And now the elites of Jerusalem must deal with this issue. And so they ask the appropriate question, who is this? And any time that someone comes face to face with Jesus, the real question that must be answered is, who is this? Jesus at one point asked his disciples who the crowd said he was. Peter responded, you know, some say you're a teacher, others that you're Elijah or some other prophets. And Jesus asked Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter responds, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And so all of us here must wrestle with that question. Who do we say Jesus is? In Sunday school, we've been going through church history for the past couple months. And when we get to sections on heresy, on creeds and councils, the question that the church always asks itself comes down to who is Jesus? Is Jesus just another representation of the Father, as the Sabellians would say? Is he inferior to the Father, as the Arians would say? Our entire worldview hinges on who Jesus is. If Jesus is not the Son of God, if he is not God in the flesh come down, if he is not the one who died and rose for our sins, then as Paul says, we may as well drink and eat and be merry, for tomorrow we die. And so there is no greater question in this life than to say, who is Jesus? And how do we see the crowd's reply? They say, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Can anything good come from Nazareth? The Galilean crowds coming with Jesus and heralding his arrival are proud of their hometown hero. It's, you know, you have these differences between Galilee and Jerusalem. And so what's happening, it's imagine a small kid or a kid who grew up in a small town in Alabama, coming into Manhattan and claiming kingship over it. It's just not possible. The Galileans were seen as backwoods type of people, uncivilized by the standards of the elites of Jerusalem. If you were shopping, at Bridgeport or Clackamas, and he came across a man with a 10-gallon hat and spurs on, saying, howdy, partner, to everybody, you would know, oh, that person is not from here. We don't do that here in Oregon. And so this is how Jesus and disciples, they seem. They aren't from Jerusalem, but the crowds, they don't care. This is their prophet. This is their hero, their savior, coming from their part of the woods. And that's amazing, but in the end, they still don't see the full picture of who he is. They see him as another in a long line of prophets sent by God to call the people to covenant faithfulness. They don't see him as a final prophet who, instead of saying, This is what the Lord has said, has shifted to, This is what I say. And so, even in their messianic expectations, they don't get to see Jesus for who he truly is. And it's easy for us to you know, be on this side of the cross to see their chance and say, yes, Lord, save us from our sins. Deliver us. But this is not what the crowd is chanting. As they were entreating God to save them, as they were surrounding who they thought was their king, they were hoping for the fulfillment of the Messiah that they were expecting for the one who would come to overthrow the Romans. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, for it means that we will soon have relief from our political oppression. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, for it means that the wicked Romans will soon be cast out of the land. They They were begging for a political savior. In Jesus, they saw an expectation of the one who would raise up an army and drive the Romans out of Jerusalem. They were ready to lay their lives down for the son of David, who would lead them in victory, who would reestablish the throne of David, who would bring about the peace that was had in the time of Solomon. Had Jesus said the word, no doubt they would have all taken up arms in that moment against the Romans. But this was not the type of Messiah that awaited them. Jesus was not here to free them from political oppression. He was not here to lead a revolution against the Roman forces, though the people were ready to lay their lives down for him. It would be Jesus who would soon lay his life down for them. And how many of us today are in a similar space? We're waiting for a Messiah to come, free us from political oppression. We look at the state of the world or the culture around us, and we say, yes, Jesus, save us from the evil Democrats, or save us from the evil Republicans. And in doing so, we tend to fall into the same pit that this crowd did. I grew up in a working class immigrant home. Very quickly, my eyes were open to seeing the injustices of this world as I looked around me. And in seeking answers, I found comfort in the writings of political saviors. Because when I was younger, I was presented with a Christianity that had little to do with this world. And in college, it felt easy to dive down that worldview. But praise be to God for faithful Christians who showed me how Jesus gives us a holistic view of salvation. He is not here to save us from political systems. He is here to save us from something deeper within ourselves, our sins. Because at its core, injustice, oppression, comes from our sinful natures. And many of us want to place our hope in a political Messiah. We're hoping for a Jesus who will drive out the Romans of our time, whether that looks like driving out xenophobic Republicans from office or progressive Democrats from office. But as we look at scripture, we know that if we place our faith in a Jesus who is 100% with us at the ballot office, we're gonna be severely disappointed. Jesus did not come to overthrow the Romans. He came for something far greater. The same empire who would soon give Jesus death penalty would endure for another 500 years after that. But Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. The crowd expected that by the end of the week, they would have a conquering king. They would have their rule back. They did not anticipate that by the end of the week, they would have a Messiah whose cold body would be lying in a tomb the powers that they hoped Jesus would overthrow would be the same powers who would kill him. And so they fail to see his true identity. They say, oh, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth. And so there's so many other ways that we can often fail to see who Jesus truly is. We hear all the time, Jesus was a good teacher and so we should strive to follow his teaching. Jesus was a poor brown man who fought against the government, and so we should do the same. Jesus was an anarchist. Jesus was a socialist. The list goes on and on. We all want to pigeonhole Jesus into a box that he is too small for. This Jesus that was entering the gates of Jerusalem was not just any other prophet, He was the fulfillment of the messianic expectations, the son of David who had his eyes on the throne. Jesus is not just another teacher. He is just not another philosopher. He would come to be the ultimate prophet, priest, and king. Jesus entered the city of Jerusalem, not just as another wannabe Messiah who would be dead by the end of the week, but he entered as a rightful king He entered as a lion of the tribe of Judah, the one who knew that he would sit on the throne of David forever. Jesus is king and that is something that we cannot fail to grasp. Jesus is king. He did not reject the hosannas and the praise of the people because he knew that this worship rightfully belonged to him. Jesus intentionally sought to fulfill the prophecy because he alone knew that he would fulfill it. And here in the United States, we have a hard time grasping what a king truly is. We have presidents who have their cabinets who tell them what to do or not do. We have checks and balances with the judicial and legislative offices. We have elections every four years in case we're not happy with who is in charge. But a king has none of that. A king may have his advisors, but ultimately the final word is his. There are no checks and balances for his rule. There are no elections for the right to govern has been given to the king since birth. And so this is who Jesus is. He is not someone who is held in check by other powers. He's not seeking the counsel of us. He is the king of the universe. He is the son of David. He, there is no one who can challenge his throne, no one who will ever take it away from him. The throne belongs to him by divine right. Has there ever been anyone who was able to fulfill over 300 prophecies from the Old Testament like he did? Has there been another who has lived the perfect life and laid it down for his people? Has there been anybody else who can claim to be equal to the Father? Only Jesus fulfills that role. Only Jesus lays claim to the throne of David. And so here we come to this good news, bad news part of the sermon. Because if you're here and you're not a believer, the bad news for you is Jesus is king over everything. Slowly but surely, his kingdom is expanding to every corner of the earth. Inch by inch, minute by minute, rebels are surrendering to Jesus. They are acknowledging his presence in their lives and surrendering to it. And there will come a time when King Jesus decides enough is enough, and he will return to claim every single inch of reality as his. And on that day, if you're still fighting against the king, you will be destroyed. There will be no prisoners of war that day. Jesus demands complete surrender. But here's the good news. Jesus' arms are open to all who would surrender. King Jesus will accept the surrender of all rebels and welcome them as subjects of his kingdom. Our punishment has been born already Jesus endured the wrath of the Father on the cross for all who would place their trust in him. And the moment you surrender, there is no probation, there is no prison time for you. Upon waving that white flag and surrendering to Jesus, you immediately become a citizen of this kingdom, a child of the Most High with full benefits. So the gospel is good news to all who may be weary with the burdens of this world, Come before the humble King and surrender your life to Him. He is ready to welcome all who will come. But we cannot confuse the mission of this great King or misunderstand Him. His mission is not to fix the political systems of the world, it's not to offer great moral teaching. His mission is to offer salvation to this world from their sins. Today we shout out Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Save us, O Lord, from our sins. Blessed is he who comes from above in order to redeem us, to redeem his people. What greater gift could we receive from a king? There's coming a day when Jesus will return in all of his kingly glory so that all the nations will see him. And on that day, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. I'm gonna go quickly to, as I wrap up Revelation 19, which shows us this king who is coming. It says, Revelation 19, 11, John's vision. It says, then I, saw heaven op- uh, then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is the humble king who entered into Jerusalem. By the end of this week, this humble king, there would be a grotesque parody being played out in the court of Pilate. This king would be beaten, he would be mocked, he would be given a scarlet robe, his crown would be made of thorns as the crowds and the soldiers jeered and mocked mocked him. This king that came so humbly will return as a conquering lion. The last the world saw of him was a failed king, failed Messiah. But we see that it's not the end of the story. Jesus will return once more in his full splendor. And on that day, the world shall see him as the true king that he really is. He is a humble king who laid his life down for his people, who is slowly reclaiming the universe for his father, And so today we have the blessing of being able to proclaim this great king, this humble king who gave his life up for us. And we proclaim that name over and over again until he returns again. And until that day comes, let us continue to praise his name to a world that needs to understand him for who he truly is. More than just a prophet, Jesus is king. And because he is king, he is worthy of our praise, our glory, our honor. And so we cry out, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Let us pray. Father, we give thanks for your word. We give thanks for your son who came down as a humble king. Not one who came seeking to be served by others, but who would serve and who would give us the ultimate gift in the laying down of his life for us, for a people who wanted nothing to do with him. Lord, we give thanks that King Jesus rules even now. And even as we look at a world that is broken, that is full of darkness, we can trust that his rule is still there. We are grateful that we have been accepted into your kingdom we willingly bow our knees before this great King. And Lord, I just pray that we may continue to go out as ambassadors of this King, that we may call others to repentance, that we may invite them into the glories of this kingdom. And Lord, we just, we await the day when every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. Amen.